Lemon, lime, and a drop of cherry make a simple Shirley. But what happens when Tito's handmade vodka reveals this sweet sipper's dirty secret? Stir up a Tito's dirty Sherlock and crack the case with Tito's at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man who was voted Camp Crystal Lake's favorite mama's boy. Here is the captain. Some say I can't be killed, but you guys know I've been brain dead for years. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are still sipping on this classically great stout beer. This is Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Aged Imperial Stout from the good folks at New Holland. This is a delicious craft brew filled with roasted malt and hints of coffee, chocolate, vanilla, and a little oaky bourbon barrel goodness. Garage grade, four and a half bottle caps out of five. And here's some cheers and thank yous to our good friends. First up. A big cheers to Erica in Nampa, Idaho, who says, we are the only true crime podcast that she listens to. And a big we like your jib to Aaron Tucker from Charlottesville, Virginia. And last but certainly not least, we have Chris and Jen in Philly. You guys got yourselves one heck of a football team out there. Everyone we just mentioned, they went to truecrimegarage.com and clicked on the donate button, which helped us out with this week's beer fund. Yeah, fly, Eagles, fly. Okie Yoki was my nickname in high school. Make sure you check out our website store. It's hoodie season, baby. We got three new hoodies coming out at the start of next week, so make sure you are ready to order. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
When we left off yesterday, Captain, we were starting to take a look at who this Jeffrey Lundgren character was. And we talked about five bodies being found in the barn that was located on the property that he was leasing, that he and his family were leasing, the 15-acre farm. The bodies were recovered in January of 1990. And the bodies were determined to be that of the Avery family, followers of Jeffrey Lundgren, who had a splinter group from the reformed Latter-day Saints in Kirtland, Ohio. But we need to go back in time a little bit before the bodies were found, Captain, because there's a lot of stuff leading up to these murders. And we need to figure out just who is responsible for the murders of the Avery family. Let's go back to April of 1988. This is when people in town in Kirtland, Ohio, started talking about weird stuff going on down on that farm, on the Lundgren farm. On April 29th, 1988, a neighbor of the farm called police complaining that a cult was living at the farm and mentioned gunfire and paramilitary activity going on at the farm. There are reports that Jeffrey Lundgren was always dressed in army fatigues and kept a gun at the ready. He told his people that God chose him to lead a revolution in Kirtland, Ohio. The plan was to take over the temple by force in order to initiate the process by which he and his followers would find salvation. This was what the military training was for. Seems like a lot of these so-called prophets, especially the prophets that tell you they're prophets, seem to be fascinated with warfare and military. They seem to be. That's 100%. And now I'm fully regretting that when we started up True Crime Garage that we started calling some of the listeners the Garage Army. Seems like a mistake at this point. Well, in a way, we're, we're a weird little cult. Here's what's weird, though, too, Captain, while we're on the road of weird. His group, Jeffrey Lundgren and his followers, who are now conducting military training at the commune at this 15-acre farm, they had a somewhat detailed battle plan. This again from a later report that says, quote, according to Lundgren, his followers had to recapture the temple. Afterward, an earthquake would then elevate the temple, and Christ would return to establish Zion. So the men in the group undertook paramilitary training to prepare for this assault on the temple. And Jeffrey Lundgren picked May 3rd, 1988, his birthday, of course, mm-hmm. as the date to recapture the temple, right? It's, it's all got to be about him. And specific members of the Reformed Latter-day Saints were actually targeted for extermination. So essentially, we are talking about he's put together a hit list or a kill list here, Captain. Mm -hmm. One cult member, Kevin Curry, became disenchanted with Lundgren and his radicalized teachings. He ends up leaving Kirtland, Ohio, and he moves to Buffalo, New York. Shout out to the Bills Mafia. Mm -hmm. He moves there in 1988. And he goes to the FBI field office there in Buffalo and tells agents about Lundgren's plan to use lethal force to seize the Kirtland Temple 
on that May 3rd date in 1988. The FBI passes along this information to the Kirtland police chief, Janice Yarborough. That is likely the initiation plus the the neighbor calling about gunfire and the cult living on that property that gets the Kirtland police involved in this whole mess way back in 1988, well before the killings took place. Well, just think about this. Let's say you're a part of this church and then this splinter group, and maybe some of the people that go off in this group, you go, those are friends of mine, so I'm going to go with them. And then you go to a couple of these services, and now they're asking for all your money. And now they want you to do military training. I'm sure there was a bunch of people that went into this splinter group and went, what the heck is going on? And if there's a second coming of Christ, no no offense to Ohio, but I don't think Christ is coming here first. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? This is Buckeye Nation, baby. <laughs> he's Well, he's going to come visit the Browns, put them out of their misery. It, hey, if Christ is coming back, I want to know in advance so I can be wearing sunglasses. When because your future looks so bright. So on May 2nd of that year, Chief Yarborough brought Jeffrey Lundgren into the police station. He's confronting him about this planned attack on the temple and also questioning him about the reports of the gunfire that was heard coming from the property that he's leasing. We don't have the details other than that of this questioning or the back and forth that likely went down between the chief, his men, and Jeffrey Lundgren on that date. But what we do know is that Jeffrey Lundgren returns to the farm, and after it's after that period of questioning that he comes back and he announces to his followers that he's had a vision, a new vision that told Jeffrey that the time for the attack was not right. Mm. So I guess they are going to need to pick a different date, a new date for the attack on the temple based off of this new vision that he's had. Police were now watching the farm. Chief Yarborough went to the commune after the neighbors complained about hearing gunfire. He says that when he was there, he observed the group of people marching in formation, discussing and practicing military tactics, wearing military uniforms. But unfortunately, you know, he doesn't love what he's seeing, but his hands are tied, right? Because nothing going on was technically illegal. And there's no doubt that he does not want to get in a situation or get his department into a situation where there's a legal entanglement about religious freedom. According to the police chief, a few months later, the cult members stopped coming into town at all, and they stopped interacting with anyone else outside of their little group, and they were becoming more and more isolated. Well, this is probably part of Jeffrey's plan. You you divide and conquer. You take individuals, you sleep deprive them, you take them of all their resources, you cut them off from friends and family members. Hey, your your friends or your coworkers are telling us that what we're doing here is a little crazy. Well, you don't need to be around those people anymore. Also, according to the police chief, around this time, Luffman, Dale Luffman, who we've discussed at length, and others who decided not to follow 
Jeffrey Lundgren or were no longer following Jeffrey Lundgren, they start to receive death threats from an anonymous source. On April 16th, 1989, so we're going to fast forward almost a, a full year here, Jeffrey Lundgren purchased three guns using a credit card, but it's not his credit card. He's using a credit card of a member of his group. That member is Dennis Avery. So Dennis Avery's credit card purchases three guns in April of 1989. On the 18th of 1989, so just two days later after the gun purchase, Chief Yarbrough, five of his men, and some FBI agents, they decide to pay a visit to the commune. They said later that this was part of a civil rights violation investigation or civil rights violations investigation. I'm guessing here that they're probably using rumors that they're hearing about unpaid labor, forced labor, polygamy, and other such claims to justify probable cause to go in and visit the commune and ask some questions and take a good look around, right? What they were really checking on, my belief, is these death threats, these anonymous death threats, believing that they're probably coming from someone or someone's on this property. And if they go there looking at these other things, which, which they had reason they had cause to go there on those other items, maybe they find evidence of these death threats that they are in fact coming from this property. So they needed some evidence on these death threats coming from the property because they had anonymous death threats being made. This at, at some point, it's not just people that refuse to follow or stop following Jeffrey Lundgren, but now we have death threats that are being made against certain church members, not only in Kirtland, Ohio, but also in Kansas City as well. So there was information that members of Jeffrey Lundgren's group were going to kill members of the old church. Now, when they're there, more than 12 guns are found in the house, but they were owned legally, so they were not confiscated. And again, they they find no proof of illegal activity. So there's no arrests that are made even with the, the police chief there, all of his men, and several FBI agents. A little clarity in our timeline, though, here, Captain. Notice the dates. Because one thing that, that we do not know up until this point in our telling of this true crime story is that while the guns were purchased on April 16th and the FBI and the police chief and his men are there on April 18th, the Averys, the family of five, the bodies that are later found in the barn, they had been shot and killed the day before this visit from law enforcement on the 17th. And as far as law enforcement goes, I'm a scary situation to, to put yourself into. You are backed by FBI, so you probably feel pretty safe but it's also not a large group it's a group of less than 20 individuals so when you see them doing their little military activities it's probably a little silly to law enforcement and fbi but still you have to take all this stuff serious because you're probably hearing some pretty crazy rumors coming out of this farm well, so when authorities, when they arrive on the farm, they find men 
in this group. They find them in the barn, but they find them on the other side of the barn from where the bodies were. Right. So had they gone and looked around in the barn a little more and gone to the other side, they may have noted the freshly upturned earth. But also at this time, you have to keep in mind, they have no idea that this group would be capable of murdering some of their own. There, there's no rumor of that, nor was there any threat made against the Avery family. In fact, no one's even reported this family missing. They're not reported missing until the person calls in in January after they're killed. And uh, I'm sorry, in December after they're killed and tells police, hey, this family's missing. This family of five's missing and you're going to find them dead and buried in a barn. Right. which they do a few days later in early January. So after the FBI and the police go to this property, the the whole group decides, all right, boom, it's time to abandon this area. It's time to abandon the farm. It's time to change our plans altogether. So they just up and leave the whole group or the majority of them anyway. So much of their things, the belongings, the animals, everything that they had kind of put together is just kind of left there because they're fleeing in the middle of the night practically. And they end up leaving for West Virginia, which is not much better than Ohio. And then Jeffrey Lundgren had selected the designation for the group, obviously, because he's, he's the the one in charge. He tells them where to go and what to do. According to the information I have, Jeffrey Lundgren selected the destination for the group's pilgrimage, which was to seek, the golden sword that would provide protection to the group in the event of the end of the world. So they're going to be camping in parks, living in tents, working odd jobs. They're, they're on the run. They're in another state, but they're essentially trying to keep on task with their general idea or mission as they had it. So they continued preparing their military plans for achievement of Zion. It was while the group was in West Virginia that Jeffrey Lundgren selected Catherine Johnson as his second wife, which of course angered her husband, her real husband, Larry. Well, these prophets can't just have one wife. They have to have multiple wives. Yeah. The the thing that drives me crazy is that when we take a look at these cults, don't we, we just see the same behaviors over and over again, where it's like all of these are huge red flags, not just because they would be red flags on their own, but they're huge red flags because we've seen it time and time again, take this same course of events, the same series of events. First off, Hey, we're just a bunch of good people who want to be away from everybody else. And we want to do our own thing. We want to be left alone to practice our religion and it, and our and express our religious freedoms and take care of each other and grow as a as a little community ourselves right that's that's usually how it starts right and then shortly after that it's like all right well all the paychecks all the money all the work being done that's for the group and for our leader and now we're wearing army fatigues all of a sudden and we're buying guns and now this guy's got to have wives or he's molesting the children. It's, I mean, it's, it's the same series of events time and time again. 
Well, and these prophets are always some nerdy ass white dude that doesn't know how to dress. I hate nerdy ass white dudes. <laughs> their their hairlines are normally running from their faces. It makes zero sense. I think that's why we're so fascinated by them because it, it just doesn't make any sense that this guy would rise to some kind of power over anybody, let alone handfuls of people. The garage is on record as being against nerdy-ass white dudes. Nerdy-ass white dudes can all go to hell. So after they do this little brief period in West Virginia, Jeffrey Lundgren takes on a second wife, Katherine Johnson. Her husband is pissed off about this. Then now the group ends up moving to Independence, Missouri. Remember, this is the headquarters for the actual Reformed Latter-day Saints Church. And there they move into, once again, an old farmhouse. But that didn't last because now, now we start having some dissension amongst the ranks, right? The, right? the group starts to split up a little bit. And Jeffrey Lundgren starts to see his flock diminishing with every move that they make, uh, with every relocation that they, that they make. Well, and hold and, on, because they killed five of their members. So that already made their group a lot less powerful. He and Alice, his, his actual wife, arranged for their three children to go to Alice's parents. And Jeffrey Lundgren, his wife Alice, their, one of their sons, Damon, and his new wife, Catherine Johnson, and a man named Daniel Kraft, they all go to California. My guess here, Captain, is that they, I, I mean, th this appears to me that they are actively on the run from the law at this point. Right. I mean, they, they already were, but this is, this is when you're, when the ship is sinking and you start tossing luggage overboard, mm -hmm. uh, to avoid the ship from sinking faster. And so th that's what I, I feel like this situation is. They're, they're kind of sending everybody away. If you're not with us, who cares? And we're pushing other people away too. And this small, very small group of us, we're all going to go to California. Hold on. Maybe our cult could just be a cult that's against cults. We don't have a nerdy ass white dude be the leader. We don't wear army fatigues. We don't do military activities. We just kind of sit around and talk about true crime and drink some beer. And our temple, which is a garage. Meanwhile, while all of this is going on, keep in mind, no one has reported that the Averys are missing at this point. Everyone in Kirtland assumed that the family had actually left with the cult when the cult left. Right. It was now December 1989, and that is when the disgruntled cult member Larry Johnson, remember he, his wife took off with Jeffrey Lundgren. He's the one that calls in the tip to the authorities in Kansas. He calls it into Kansas city, Missouri, and he tells them about the Avery murders, about the Avery family being murdered. Of course, Johnson is ticked off that Lundgren had taken his woman and was generally disenchanted with Lundgren and his grandiose proclamations and demands. So Johnson decides to rat him out and thank God that he did. Now, after the bodies were found, 
Police discovered that a 45 caliber semi-automatic weapon belonging to Jeffrey Lundgren had fired the bullets that they recovered. So Jeffrey Lundgren bought this weapon in 1987 and sold it in West Virginia in October of 1989. An article that came from the Cincinnati Inquirer just a week after the bodies were found, Blair's, quote, cult deaths illustrate the limits of law's control. The article says that police had been watching the commune on the farm for two years and had been looking for a reason to make an arrest, but had no legal basis to do so. They were suspicious of the whole thing. The structure with the profit at the top of the food chain, the handing over of the checks, the paychecks to him, the military militant type behavior, all of the weapons, they were suspicious of this. They had placed the commune under surveillance and tried to question Jeffrey Lundgren about what was happening with the group. No doubt they viewed Jeffrey Lundgren as a complete bullshit artist and his followers as suckers, but until there are legal grounds for police to step in, they can't. There's no law against being a sucker. Chief Dennis Yarborough told the Inquirer, quote, we did everything we could to come up with probable cause of criminal activity, but no law had been broken and no one outside could have foreseen that the cult members would turn on each other. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. 
It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And 
You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we are back, cult members. Cheers to you. You know, one of the things about a cult is you have to have the definition of having a cult is that you would have not control, but you would be suggestive of their diet, if that makes any sense. So I guess here in the garage, since we're telling you to enjoy a nice brew, that 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 puts us in the cult category. That it does, Captain, without a doubt. So now we have a family of five dead, shot, and killed, and buried in the barn belonging to the leader of this little group. That leader, Jeffrey Lundgren, the bullets that killed them came from his forty-five. The people that assisted Jeffrey Lundgren in the murders were his followers. And the followers helped to bury the Avery family as well. Prosecutors, after they find these bodies, after they put together this evidence, they very quickly brought indictments against 13 members of the family very quickly. On January 5th, 1990, the charges were that Jeffrey Lundgren was the trigger man, but the others that were indicted were all people who were present when the Avery family members were shot and killed one by one in a ritualistic sacrifice or knew about the plan. Besides Jeffrey Lundgren himself, who was charged with five counts of aggravated murder and five counts of kidnapping, four of his followers were charged with the same charges as Jeffrey Lundgren. The others charged were Damon Paul Lundgren, age 19, which is Lundgren's son, a high school senior, Daniel Kraft Jr., a furniture builder, Ronald Luff, a forklift operator, and Richard Brand, a civil engineer. Others were indicted on charges of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder and conspiracy to commit kidnapping. These were Lundgren's wife, Alice, the second wife, Catherine Johnson, and six others. But here's what we have going on now. At this point, they bring these charges against these 13 individuals. They have some of these people in custody, but they don't have all of them in custody. Because the group splintered off from each other. That's right. And remember, they're losing people as they go. They move from Ohio to West Virginia and then to Missouri, where they were last seen. Lundgren and a few of his followers, including his original wife, Alice, his second wife, uh, Catherine Johnson, They're last seen in Missouri, but they don't know where this group went. But the good news here is that it doesn't really take very long to finally track them down. So three of the missing Lundgrens were arrested on January 7th at a motel near the Mexican border, this in the state of California. Then three days later, Catherine Johnson and Daniel Kraft were apprehended on the 10th near San Diego. So the remaining people that they were looking for are found in California. When police caught up with Jeffrey Lundgren and his band of followers, they were armed with an AR-15, three handguns, and multiple knives. 
So they are equipped with survival gear as well and clearly plan to evade capture and try to live off the grid as long as they could. But luckily for us, police caught up with them. And for them, it's over. They never got to Zion. Instead, they were all in jail. Judgment Day did indeed come for them, but it would be in the form of prosecutors, juries, and judges. Well, and like you said, where they were found, they're running from the law. They initially go to one place and with the lack of resources, go to another place. Then the group splinters off again, and then they're found in California. But where? By the border of Mexico, probably trying to flee into Mexico. Well, keep in mind, too, what we have here, Captain, and this is one of the more intriguing parts of the story to me, this true crime story. And it's it's smart, and it's also the right thing to do at the end of the day. Remember, they charged all of these people, 13 different people, with varying degrees of involvement in murder. That is likely to get them to all turn on each other or at least turn on Jeffrey Lundgren so that law enforcement and the courts can get the real story of what happened to the Avery family. Right. So that plan worked. Of course it did. These people, many of them who uh, they quickly rolled over on their fallen prophet, Jeffrey Lundgren. Well, these people are, are easily suggestible people. So we, we will learn what actually happened here. And we're going to go into the details of that. Let's get it. Now, remember when the police showed up, they bring Lundgren in for questioning. And then he comes back and he's saying that he's had a new vision and that they we we need to change the date of the attack on the the temple of seizing the temple. Right. The truth of the matter is this that when Lundgren decided to switch gears, he actually began preaching to his group that they needed a sacrifice. He told his followers to prepare for a trek to the wilderness and they started packing up only the essentials and casting off their worldly possessions in order to reach Zion. But before they departed, he told the group that they would have to sacrifice 10 people, saying that he had received word from God through the scriptures that it was necessary to prune the herd. And then later he downgraded this number to five after another vision that he had. Well, once he did the math and realized if I kill 10 people, then I don't have any followers. He told his cult following that the end of days was very near and to ensure their salvation, they had to make a human sacrifice. But he left one family out of his plan for leaving the area and going into the wilderness. And they, in fact, became his secret target. This would be the Averys, the family of five, the Avery family. He basically turned all the other cult members against the Averys, telling them that their death would be spiritually cleansing and protection from Armageddon. The prosecutors on this heinous case said that the Averys were selected to be the sacrificial lambs because Jeffrey Lundgren saw them as less committed to the cult as the other members. This because they refused to live on the farm with the other group, with the rest of the group, retaining their own residence in town and even keeping some of their own money that they earned. 
apparently Jeffrey Lundgren did not like Dennis Avery and thought that Cheryl Avery, the mother and wife had too many rights for a woman. And he was generally pissed that they weren't following his every word and, and obeying his orders. How dare they live in their own house? How dare they keep some of their own money? How dare they give rights to the women in their family? How dare they? So, of course, he's telling his followers this. Meanwhile, the Averys, they're told none of this. They have no idea what's going on. Jeffrey Lundgren instructs Cheryl Avery to write to her extended family and tell them that they were leaving on a wilderness trip to Wyoming and that they would be out of touch for a considerable amount of time. And Cheryl Avery does this. She writes to the extended family and tells them about this fictitious trip to the wilderness. She believes they're going. And so does her husband. They're going to follow Jeffrey Lundgren and the rest of them to Wyoming. They officially withdrew their daughters from the Madison Township schools that they attended. As they thought, they were all going to Wyoming. As we know, they weren't going to Wyoming. That Jeffrey Lundgren and his followers had other plans for them. Yeah, of course they had other plans. They're going to be sacrificial lambs for this stupid cause. On the evening of April 17th, 1989, the Averys were invited out to the farmhouse for a party celebrating the group's departure on their wilderness trip. Around 6.30 p.m. after dinner with all of the cult members, Jeffrey Lundgren went out to the barn with his son Damon and four other followers. This was... Brand, Kraft, Winship, and Ron Luft. The Averys stayed inside the house with the women and children of the group. The burial pit had already been prepared. They dug this thing out days earlier. Let's be clear here. Many of the members of this commune, but not the Averys, knew this was coming and had prepared for it in advance. They decided that they were going to use a chainsaw to hide the sounds of the gunshots. So they're out there buzzing a chainsaw. Now, this is all from the Huffington Post, and a little warning here, it's it's hard to take. Some of these victims are children. The article reads, One by one, the Avery family members were brought into the barn. Dennis was first. They probably told him that he needed to attend a meeting of the male members of the cult. But once he got out in the barn, They bound his hands and after a scuffle, tossed him into the pit. This isn't necessary, Dennis cried out. According to police, he cried out, please, this isn't necessary. Then Jeffrey Lundgren shot Dennis twice. Cheryl was next. They probably told her her husband needed her or something. When she was brought in, according to Ron Luff, who later gave an interview about this, Luff placed his hand on Cheryl's shoulder and solemnly said, just give it up. It'll be easier this way. Just let go. Cheryl must have been in shock because she silently allowed the men to tie her hands and put her in the pit where she was then shot three times. Well, just imagine the terror and the horror that's going through their little kids at this time period, probably seeing their their parents tied up and and taken away. And like you said, to cover up the sound of a gun, which you probably heard, still heard the gun if you're in close range, but you have this constant buzzing of this chainsaw 
I mean, this is horrific. Well, it is horrific, but keep in mind, they're none the wiser. They're leading these individuals out to the barn one at a time. And they're, they're attacking, tying them up, and then shooting them one at a time. Right. So when, when the father, Dennis, goes out there, he has no idea that they're going to attack and kill him. And then when they go in and ask Cheryl, hey, can you come out to the barn? Dennis needs you for something. She has no idea what she's walking into. At this time in the attack, the Avery children are still inside playing video games. And Luff, he then returns to the farmhouse and he retrieves Trina, the oldest of the three, mentioning a game of hide and seek inside the barn. He gets her to go to the barn with him under this ruse. Trina was then bound at the wrist and lowered into the pit next to the bodies of her parents. The first bullet, police said, grazed her head, and then the second pierced her skull, killing her instantly. Afterward, Luff escorted Becky to the barn and helped place her on top of her dead mother. The girl was shot twice, once in the thigh and once in the chest. She did not die instantly, and members of the cult would later tell police that they listened to Becky's struggle to breathe as Luff exited the barn. Luff exited the barn to go back into the farmhouse to retrieve the youngest of the children. Seven-year-old Karen playfully climbed on Luff's back for a piggyback ride to the barn. Once inside, she was bound and lowered into the now blood-stained pit. As she sat next to her sisters, the little girl was shot in the chest and the head. Yeah, this is not a religious group. This is a group of savages. Lundgren said at the time, quote, it had to be done. It was God's will. After the murders, the men covered the bodies with lime to speed up the decomposition, filled the pit with stones and dirt, and returned to the farmhouse for a prayer meeting. Jeffrey Lundgren asked some members of his cult to help him research how to change his identity, and this is when they started to get ready to leave. Now, as we said, Captain, we have all these charges against these other individuals, and of course, the idea here is to start getting some plea deals with many of these members that were charged, because the goal ultimately for the prosecution will be to convict Jeffrey Lundgren and sentence him to Ohio's death row. The trials were all held separately, and we are not going to get into the trials, but there are a few things of note. Would have been cheaper if we just would have buried them in a pit. One, at her trial, Jeffrey Lundgren's wife, Alice, came up with the defense that she had stayed with Lundgren because she was afraid for herself and her children, and she cried throughout her testimony. And... At her trial, the jury went and toured the barn, and she cried during this tour as well. According to some sources, there may be some evidence that Lundgren abused Alice, but note that she was not the one who called the tip into police, nor did she try to help the Averys in advance of their murder. So, of course, the judge was not impressed, and Alice got five life terms in prison. Well, we have to, again, we have to remember that they sat there in the graves for almost a year. 
So it's not just that the murders took place and there was a couple days that went by and and she didn't call in. It's over eight months before it was called in. Yeah, that's many days and nights that you had freedom, that you had a life, that you were around your loved ones where this family wasn't. And well, on top of that, three children, it's, there's no excuse. And another member of this Lundgren family, of, of the actual Lundgren family, Damon Lundgren, was only 19 at the time of the murders. He was charged with murder as well. There was uh, five over 500 people who knew him from school that went on to sign a petition for leniency in his case, stating that he was a good kid. Uh, but witnesses testified that Damon was present during at least 20 different discussions leading up to the killings of the Averys. 20 different discussions. This is 20 different meetings where Jeffrey Lundgren's explaining to his group that, or, or a small section of his group that we are going to kill these people. He, here are the people we are going to kill. Now let's start planning how we are going to kill them and get away with it. Yeah. This one, this one's a little difficult for me because his parents were supposed to protect him, supposed to raise him. Obviously they were not doing that in a healthy environment. If there was abuse happening, you couldn't, I couldn't imagine where this kid's mindset was with all this abuse, with all this rhetoric of my father is a prophet. I mean, he had to be completely brainwashed. Well, in this case, remember all the trials were separate. In this case, the judge was, I mean, you could view this one of two ways that the judge was harsh on Damon or he was lenient on him. He was at least harsh on Damon with his words saying at trial to Damon, you accept no blame. You blame your father. You claim this was your father's doing and none of your own. And the judge goes on to say, Jeffrey Lundgren could not have done any of this without the help uh, and devotion of you and his other followers. Society cannot tolerate such excuses. So the judge spared Damon from the death penalty. So that would be the leniency part of it. The judge gave him 120 years for assisting in the murders, and he would not be eligible for parole for at least 80 of those 120 years. For as for Jeffrey Lundgren himself, the prosecutor said that he kept waiting for him to plead insanity, but that never happened. In fact, Jeffrey Lundgren pled not guilty at his trial, even with all these people turning on him. His trial started in August of 1990, and he offered up really no real defense as far as the courts would be concerned. He did testify about his beliefs and his visions and how they led him to do what he did. It's almost as though he was accustomed to people following him and falling for his bullshit. And maybe he assumed that his powers would similarly affect the jury. Yeah. Or the idea that I tell myself bullshit lies and I believe them. And look, I was able to get a handful of people to believe my bullshit. He had to think on some level, oh, I can get this courtroom to believe my bullshit. 
NBC News described the defense or described Lundgren by saying at the trial, Lundgren was unrepentant and resolute in his convictions, afforded the opportunity to make an unsworn statement on the stand. Lundgren declared, quote, I cannot say that God was wrong. I cannot say that I am sorry. I did what God commanded me to do in the physical act. It's not a figment of my imagination that I can, in fact, talk to God. I am a prophet of God. I am even more than a prophet. I am not a false prophet. Therefore, I am not worthy of the death penalty. And it looks to me like, yeah, buddy, you probably are. Well, if you could talk to God, why didn't he tell you to cut your mullet? The prosecutor presented some of the remnants of the clothing that belonged to the Avery family that was found on the bodies of the Averys when they were buried. He presented this in court. This was later seen as a stroke of genius because the stench of rot from the tatters of this clothing overwhelmed the courtroom. Some of the jury had a visceral reaction to this. In the end, the jury didn't buy that Lundgren was instructed by God to kill the Averys. They didn't buy that he was some sort of prophet with a direct line to the Almighty. They saw him for what he was, a murderer, and the jury dropped the hammer on old Jeffrey Lundgren. On August 29th, the jury found Lundgren guilty of five counts, each of aggravated murder and kidnapping, And then after the testimony in the sentencing phase, it took them just two hours to agree to recommend Jeffrey Lundgren to be sentenced to die by the state of Ohio. They also found him guilty of being a NAB, a nerdy ass bitch. In 2006, Lundgren's appeals had all been exhausted by this time and his time was almost up. He was granted a clemency hearing which was held on September 26, 2006. We don't need to get into all of the points that was made by the prosecutors in opposing clemency. Look, this dude killed a family of five with pre-planning and intent, period. That's, That's a fact. In short, the board did not find that there was any evidence presented that was sufficient enough to warrant a favorable recommendation for executive clemency in regard to Jeffrey Lundgren. On October 24th, 2006, Jeffrey Lundgren was executed by lethal injection at a Southern Ohio correction facility. His last meal was turkey, potatoes, and gravy and a salad and pumpkin pie. His final words, as reported by the Cleveland Plain dealer, were, quote, I want to profess my love for God, my family, my children, and my beloved Catherine, he said while staring at the ceiling, I am because you are. From the News Herald, as was his prerogative by law, the prosecutor, in this case, chose to be present when Jeffrey Lundgren was executed by lethal injection. He felt not one twinge of sympathy as Jeffrey Lundgren was strapped into the gurney and administered the mixture of drugs that ended his life. And he said, the guy was a grifter and a cold-blooded murderer. He deserved to die. Later, prison officials said that Jeffrey Lundgren had been so certain that he would win a delay 
that he napped much of the morning. The self-proclaimed prophet, who was once surrounded with loyal followers, died with no family members or friends among the witnesses. No one claimed his body. Jeffrey Lundgren was buried in a simple ceremony in a prison grave in Chillicothe, Ohio, with convicts serving as his pallbearers. I think the reason why this case is so sad to me is normally there's one killer, and in this case there's multiple killers and multiple people that just stood by and did nothing. And for whatever reason, for their own personal gain, their own salvation, that they thought they were more important than this family. Some of the accomplices have now been paroled, but still imprisoned are Daniel Kraft, eligible for parole in 2024, Ronald Luff, eligibility in 2048, Alice Lundgren, parole eligibility for 2092, and Damon Lundgren, who will be eligible for parole in the year 2098. want to thank you guys so much for listening to our show, our little garage show. We would be nothing without you. Make sure you share these cases on social media to spread the word. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? This week, I'm very excited to be recommending I Don't Like Mondays, the true story behind America's first modern school shooting by N. Lee Hunt. Guys and girls, you're going to want to check this one out. This is the story about Brenda Spicer, who was a seemingly average teenage girl living in a nice suburban neighborhood, and she made and executed plans that would place her in infamy and set a violent and terrifying national precedent. This is considered to be one of the first American modern school shootings. Check out the book, I Don't Like Mondays by N. Lee Hunt. You can find that great title and many more on our recommended page on our website, truecrimegarage.com. And make sure you are subscribed to the show. Many of you are listening and not subscribed, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't let us. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online 
Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. 